Good morning and uh, welcome to Aerosmith Baptist Church online here today. Uh, first of all, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And next, before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of this day. I thank you, God, that we have these tools where we can meet. I thank you most of all, Lord, for your presence in our lives. And I thank you, God, for your word. And I pray that you will be heard, not me, and that uh, you'll be glorified and that uh, people will be touched by who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, as you know, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 21. This text is very directly about some of the how-tos of being a Christian. In the last while, we've seen a progression of very big ideas about God and his salvation, but this week's text brings it down to a day-to-day, week-to-week level in many ways. Let's just quickly review where we've been with a key verse from each chapter. In Ephesians 1, we saw in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in that verse we see that our goal is to be holy. And to be blameless before him has to do with our ultimate eternal position before God. In Ephesians 2, we read that by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And as we all know, boasting in pride it tends to be our number one issue. In Ephesians 3, we saw, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Again, if we think about God as creating all things, this has to do with our position relative to him. Lastly, in Ephesians 4, last week we saw, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness, sorry, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. And as we also know, it's very easy to get caught up in what's going on in the world and to be tossed to and fro, so to speak. So as we can hopefully see here, uh, the book of Ephesians starts out like a wide funnel with huge ideas about God but then slowly narrows the focus down to individual people that are in Christ. That's really the focus for Paul. What what does it mean to be in him? Along those lines of perspective, let's try an experiment, and please play along here. What I'd like you to do is to put your hand right up close to your face, like this. And I know we're breaking the laws about COVID, with your eyes open, so just like that. Get as close as you can 
and still be able to see your skin. We know that the parts of the hand are there, but we can't see them. Now slowly pull your hand away until it becomes clear and focused. That sort of describes our day-to-day -day lives. We get so focused on the day-to-day -day that it gets blurry and we lose sight of the glory and, and majesty and power and size of God. When our hand is, is far away and in focus, that's like stepping back from the day-to-day -day grind and seeing the big picture. However, we obviously need to see the day-to-day -day part of our walk, which is what Paul is showing us in chapter 5. It's important, though, that we don't lose the context or the big picture. Especially lately, it's easy to forget that God is not surprised by what's happening and that he's in control. Before I get into the verses themselves, an interesting grammatical idea about this passage is that there's four therefores, two buts, three ands, and four fours. Uh, that indicates a lot of connections and places where Paul lays out cause and effect and, or statements that go together. Uh, this is part of the idea of this being practical directions about our walk. So here we go, verse 1. Uh, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. All of the ideas from Ephesians 1 to 4 lead us to this point, that narrow part of the funnel. And Paul knows that we need an example to follow. Uh, the last verse of chapter 4 from last week was regarding forgiveness. God is forgiving. He's merciful. He's just, loving, wise, compassionate, understanding, equitable, kind, etc., etc., etc. We should be childlike in how we try to copy Jesus' example and follow him. This also leads us sacrificially to our own cross, too. Thankfully, he showed us how to lay down our life for others. It continues in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's been a lot more walking and biking, etc. lately. And so we should all understand the slower pace of transportation that Paul referenced, plus the idea that being a Christian implies movement via sanctification, even if it's slow and steady growth. Also, verse 2 shows us that Jesus did not ask our permission, nor does he need ours for his amazing sacrifice, which was so famously stated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 2 of chapter 5 also shows part of the mystery that Jesus sacrificed himself as an offering to himself as God. When you think about that, it's very difficult to really understand that, that he sacrificed himself to himself. But that's what it says. Uh, next in verse 3, uh, But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you 
as is proper among saints. Paul then proceeds to outline God's plan for our physical identity through our sexuality. You might wonder why this is first. It's partially because our body is our earthly home, and we tend to make an idol of our physicality, whether it's that we're too tall or too short, too heavy or too thin, too many curls or hair too straight. And this lately has certainly spilled over into gender-related issues and even skin color. We have also seen this concept of image as idolatry in famous stories like Narcissus or Snow White and the Mirror. Also the perils of Snapchat and Instagram and the mental health issues associated and documented with social media that's based mostly on image. The bottom line is that we are made in the image of God. And he clearly outlined that right at the start of his word. It's not up for debate, but nor should we obsess about our own image. In Genesis 1 verse 27, we, we read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis 3, we see that Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Part of our walk with Christ is trying to be pure and proper as people that are set apart as saints in his kingdom. God planned for our sexual purity and bodily image to be based on his plans, not ours. Verse 4 continues with, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul here discusses our words, which reflects Proverbs, Proverbs 8, among many other scriptures. So Proverbs 8 says, To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Today it's really easy to fire off words kind of everywhere. But that is causing so much trouble and misunderstanding, especially online. Furthermore, the words we hear in music and TV and other entertainment often do not pass the Proverbs nor the Ephesians test. Next, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The for you may be sure of this, refocuses us in our walk. Everyone means every unrepentant one. We are not given a license to deliberately sin, even though we're forgiven. Paul again refers to the covetous nature of our physicality. 
Our walk should be leading us towards God's kingdom, but it's on his timeless terms, not 21st century values. Verse 6 continues, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's pretty easy to be deceived in this era of mis- and disinformation. I heard back in March that in the midst of the pandemic, well, at the start really, we were also experiencing an infodemic. We're, we're overwhelmed with information. If we look at our world like Paul did, we need a trustworthy and timeless source of wisdom. That is God's word, of course. Uh, moral relativism has confused people with its anything goes sort of language. Paul says that those things lead to God's wrath upon the sons of disobedience, which is our state in Adam without Jesus. And as we saw, Paul is writing to those that are in Christ. Another place that I saw this recently that was interesting was in 2 Chronicles 13, verse 7, where some men were described as, quote, worthless scoundrels. We, we don't want a lack of discretion in our daily lives to lead us being branded as worthless scoundrels for all of eternity. That's much worse than a sketchy digital footprint. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Paul suggests something about association here. He's referring to people that are directly opposed to the gospel. If they know the truth and work against it, we are to disassociate from them. And it's not easy when it's friends and family, which it often is. You may have heard that placing a good apple into a barrel of rotten apples does not make the rotten ones good. Obviously, we're to share Jesus as best as possible, but Paul also tells us to walk away at some point. Verse 8 continues with, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. We did not do dark things, but rather we were darkness. This goes back to the incredible gift of grace in Ephesians 2. We are also joined to Jesus in light, as we saw in John 1, where, quote, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 9 says that we are to bear fruit, and that requires light. The light of the Lord also shines through all of the evil and darkness of the world. It's not enough for us to feel like we want to make things better. It requires God's light to make it grow or happen. Next, we are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Wow. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's a lifetime of work. First of all, it's in the Bible. Secondly, Jesus himself told us and modeled it. Thirdly, it's, it's not easy. It requires a lifetime of constant reevaluation re and intervention by the Holy Spirit 
a lot. Thankfully, we also have a shepherd to guide us and his example to try and copy. We are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The unfruitful works of darkness could refer to any number of things. Take your pick. Relationally, we need to do our best to shine God's light whenever we can. This could be words or silence, actions or being still, or prayer, of course, or any number of other things. Proverbs 4, verse 23, tells us, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Verse 12 of chapter 5 continues, It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. The cross removed our shame. We should not dwell on the shameful things of ourselves or others, but a small dose is left behind to keep us humble, which connects us back to God's grace and gift from Ephesians 2. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Again, God's light brings sin and darkness out into the open and helps us proceed through the daily grind of life. It could hurt or be embarrassing, but it's needed to have our sin exposed. And one day, all of our sin will be revealed as forgiven, which is incredible. Verse 13 and 14 continue into, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This also harkens back to Ephesians 2 and the but God that I spoke of a few weeks ago. He brings us out of our sleep and makes us awake and new in Him. Verse 15 tells us to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. For someone walking through life, this is pretty self-evident. Paul says, watch where you're going, don't be stupid, Listen to God's instructions. The turmoil we're experiencing currently is truly related to what happened in society about 60 years ago, when people began to remove God from school and government and other places. We see this in Romans 1, which shows us how timeless it is in a way. Romans 1 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They do not know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Nothing needs to be added to this. No wonder we're such a mess. We have a personal 
and societal pride and sin problem. If it ever feels like we just can't make sense of what's happening in the world, it's because every single person involved in whatever situation has a sinful pride problem. We don't hear much about that in the analysis on the news or from politicians, do we? The problem we have is not COVID or money or marriage or race or leaders or justice or equality or whatever. It's sin. Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. John MacArthur recently said, quote, our moral decline is a spiritual problem, not a political one. And its solution is the gospel, not politics. Verse 16 says we're to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We only have so many days. I got a text recently from an old friend congratulating me on my 50th birthday. And it said I'd been breathing for 18,285 days. Lots of them have been good, but lots were not. How should we spend our time? It seems like the days are pretty evil lately. So we need to fight for the truth. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of, God, of the Lord is. This obviously tells us that not understanding God's will is foolishness. Pretty simple when you factor in the exclusive, exclusive phrases of Jesus such as, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. From Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It's easy to be a fool. It comes naturally to us. Some of us more easily than others. Right, husbands? It takes discipline in the Holy Spirit to help us follow Him properly. Verse 18 continues with, And do not get drunk with wine that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pretty practical suggestion. It doesn't say don't drink wine. It says don't get drunk with wine. We always like to push things. Whatever our pet issues are, too much, fill in the blank. Instead, we should listen to God and what he tells us. Verse 19 tells us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the, heart, to the Lord with your heart. I imagine what it would be like to be in church, in church life, if we replace the, the holy grail of our opinion and independence with psalms and hymns and making melody with your heart. I notice that Paul says nothing about musical style either. Just imagine, and no, that's not a John Lennon illusion either. We're to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The words are always, everything, to God. Just think about that. To give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I recently read the famous novel Jane Eyre from the 1800s for the first time. And after a long series of ups and downs, Jane finds herself in a stable situation and she said, quote, My cottage is clean and my furniture sufficient. All I see has made me thankful, not despondent. I am not obviously such a fool and sensualist as to regret the absence of a carpet, a sofa, and a silver plate. Five weeks ago, I was an outcast, a beggar, a vagrant. Now I have acquaintance, a home, a business. I wonder at the goodness of God, the generosity of my friends, the bounty of my lot. End quote. We should give thanks for everything, the good and the bad, all the time. Verse 21, Paul ends strong. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, he's setting up a very powerful passage that's next, which we'll hear about next week. And, but day to day, we need to submit to one another, which obviously requires a surrendering of self. So I, as I said at the start with our, our hand example, perspective in our daily lives is very important. God has shown us how to try and live on a day-to-day -day basis, but we lose sight of the big picture. I heard once that if Bill Gates is walking across a room and stops to pick up a $100 bill on the floor, his loss of time in doing that actually costs him money. On the other hand, that same $100 bill could feel and be life-changing for a single mom just trying to get to payday. We need to remember that God chose us and we need to keep perspective on his full value every day as we walk in his light. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that we're able to hear from you directly. I pray, God, that all of us that hear your word will let it soak deep into our souls and that we will act on your commands and will be guided by you and will abide in you and will follow you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.